Hello everyone, welcome back to Cloisterbell Podcast and today we are watching, or talking about rather, another episode from Doctor Who Series 8. It is Listen. The TARDIS Cloisterbell. Imminent disaster. The Cloisterbell? Yes. What's that? Well, it's a sort of communications device reserved for wild catastrophes and sudden calls to man the battle stations. That's the cloister bell. Don't worry about that for now. It's not really terribly significant. The cloister bell? Oh, no. Hello, faithful listeners. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, I'm Rob, and as always, I'm here with Liam. Hi, Rob. Hi, everyone. Hi. Uh, so, yes, we're talking about Listen today. Uh, last week, we talked about Flatline, which is an episode that occurred later in the season. Mm-hmm. So this is a bit, a bit earlier in the series. Have we did we talk much about series eight last week? Um, a, a little bit. I mean, we were talking about our feelings about Clara, and we were talking about um, the arc with regards to to Missy. And I was saying that um, because now that we know who Missy is, she's the master, and she would, you know, um, come to play a large part in the Peter Capaldi era. It was a bit weird coming back this early on, and there's the whole mystery of who she's supposed to be. So, you know, we we touched upon it a little bit. And we were also talking about how we felt that in terms of new Doctor Who, it had largely been... Uh, the quality had largely been consistent from from um, the first series up to including this one. And then after that, the quality sort of dips a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I'll, maybe I'll read out some all the episodes from this series uh, and let me know if there's any stinkers here. So we've got uh, Deep Breath, Into the Dalek, Robot of Sherwood. I wasn't keen on that one. No? Yeah, I thought it was okay. I mean, I wouldn't say it was a stinker, but I remember thinking, um, yeah, I didn't think it was... I thought it was okay. It's all right. Uh, Listen, we'll get onto that one. Time Heist, The Caretaker, Kill the Moon... (laughs) Uh, oh, I know a lot of people really seem to hate that one. I like it. Yeah? Yeah, I quite like that one. And I, I know a lot of people just go, it's an awful idea and the whole thing. I quite like yeah, that Yeah, I'd like to know people's um, actual reasons for not liking it. Apart from the fact that they might for, think it's a bit absurd. Yeah, well, I, th- I think it's probably that. I think a lot of... Because from what I've seen over the years, a lot of people just don't like the idea that the, the moon is an egg and that whole thing. They just think it's just utter pants. I, on the other hand, quite like it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Um, Mummy on the Orient Express. Flatline. In the Forest of the Night. <sighs> and then we have the final two-parter, Dark Water, and Death in Heaven. Overall, there's not many stories in there I've watched a great deal since it came out Uh, I'm just reading the episode titles on the back of the blu-ray which are all wrote in kind of chalk on a blackboard from one to the other Um, Mm -hmm. so it kind of fits in with the doctor's chalkboard and even more so with listen Mm -hmm. so uh, oh sorry before we move on have you been doing anything this week uh, not much really, just the usual. Uh, been getting on with work uh, as usual, but this week, I mean, one the the week's gone incredibly quickly. Um, but it's been com- compared to uh, um, how work's been for the most part, it's been quite relaxing this uh, this week. Uh, so it's a nice change of pace actually. Um, just been cracking on with the reading, listening to music, um, keeping in contact with uh, with family and friends as much as possible. I have watched a little bit of television, but but not much. Um, I've suddenly been getting into the mood of wanting to watch Columbo again, so I might I might uh, might go on a bit of a Columbo binge. Yeah. So on with the episode, the Doctor's been pondering a question: um, Have people ever been truly alone? Does something lurk unseen beside us all? With Clara at his side, the Time Lord will find himself delving into familiar pasts and eerie futures. Just where does the answer to the old man's unanswerable question lie? Will he find the answers he's been searching for, or will his quest cost him his life this time? 
Uh, cast and crew this week, uh, The Doctor, of course, Peter Capaldi, Clara Jenna Coleman, Danny Pink slash Orson Pink, Samuel Anderson, Rupert Pink, Remy Gooden, Reg, Robert Goodman, uh, the figure under the blanket. Uh, is it better that I don't reveal who played him? <laughs> I'm curious now, Corey. You've got to reveal him now. Um, it was Kiran Saar. Um, he had played the emoji robot. Uh, um, in On oh, Smile. Yes. Um, he's been in other things. He was, you know, the Snow Queen's dwarf in the Lion, the Witch, the Wardrobe movie. Uh, not the movie. I thought you were going to say the uh, the BBC TV no. series. All right, okay. Um, I'm not interested. <laughs> not interested in that. No. He did play um, a stand-in for Frodo in Lord of the Rings for oh, all okay. the miniature scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. All right, and cool. The first Doctor was played by Michael Jones. Written by Stephen Moffat, produced by Peter Bennett. And directed by Douglas McKinnon. So, of course, we have a pre-title scene. The Doctor, it seems like he's breaking the fourth wall, which is something the Twelfth Doctor seems to do on occasion. But rather, in this instance, he's talking talking to himself or whoever's listening. He contemplates, are we truly alone when we're alone? And you know, that's, that's, kind of, that's a bit of a scary bloody thought. He looks at these perfect attributes of nature, perfected by evolution, these perfect hunters with perfect, perfect defence. So why not the perfect hiding mechanism? And how would you know? And it seems like the, the idea of such a thing both could and couldn't exist. How do you observe something that you can't observe that could exist? So yeah, it's an interesting thought. Um, I seem to remember this being implied in the hobbit i haven't read the hobbit in probably 20 years but is that is it implied at the beginning of that and that the hobbits might still be around but they're just perfect hiders i completely forgotten about that i uh, yeah the the hobbit was a bit of a funny one i couldn't really get into it but yes i think you i I think you're right um i think it is that is implied yeah yeah oh and the man under the blanket was a hobbit (laughs) We've worked out what it is. It's it's a connection here. Yeah, it's it's all hobbits. That's what yeah, it is. It's all, it's all hobbits. Yeah. So, uh, the doctor kind of dares anyone that's listening to do something, and so the chalk that he'd left on the book is now on the floor, and the word "listen" is etched on the blackboard. It begs the question: Who wrote that? Was it obviously the doctor that wrote that? Clara later says that it looks, it looks like, like his handwriting. handwriting. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things that i do like about this episode is that it, it it's implied that it could be that you've got these these things that are perfect at hiding but at the same time there are these rational things maybe the doctor did write that and had forgotten about it and later on maybe these noises are um caused by systems cooling and maybe it is a kid on the bed yes. and all the rest of it uh which i quite like and it's up to you the audience to determine well which one do you think it is um I was a bit unsure originally. Mm. I wasn't sure if we were left to make our own minds up or had they implied there was nothing there, really. But did you kind of get the impression that we were left um, to make our own minds up? To a certain extent, yes. I mean, uh, watching it again, I think... Because I think that if someone were to watch the episode and go, well, my take of it is that um, this is just purely speculation on the Doctor's part and these things do not exist. I would totally see where that person was coming from and wouldn't have a problem with it. But um, me personally, I do think we're supposed to, we are guided a little bit towards it being that it's more likely that these things are there rather than not. And to be perfectly honest, I much prefer the idea that these things are around. Have you ever had that dream? Has anyone ever grabbed you under the bed from 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 under the bed? Uh, if I have, I can't remember. Um, so that kind of puts the Doctor's theory. To... <laughs> I don't think I have. Um, I, don't, I don't think I have. No. What if you've got like a divan that goes all the way to the floor? <laughs> <laughs> It'd have to be a very <laughs> a very flat yes. being. 
And um, how did everyone used to hide behind the sofa when surely the sofa's flat against the wall? Ah, uh, well, this is the thing. Um, I think that if you, li- I think it's clearly a middle class thing. If you're in the mid- you know, if you're middle class and you've got a, a fairly large house and the sofa's like in the middle of the room, then you can hide. It's in the middle so. of the lounge. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But I mean, for for people like you and I, it's like, what, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah. It's flushed up again. It's flushed yeah, against well, it, the wall. Yeah, in the little matchboxes that we live in, we we'll have to like <laughs> yeah. cram no the tiny be- sofa. No hiding behind the sofa for us peasants. Um, <laughs> So, yeah. so the story moves on Clara returns to her flat reflecting on something awkward so we're treated to a flashback of her awkward date with Danny Pink we have Danny's cringe line about going for extras and you know what it was actually cringe not funny I don't know it's a bit of an awkward date I get that uh-huh. they have a bit of a chat about school I don't know if I'm being a bit harsh. I'm not sure if I'm sold by the performance of Danny Pink at the laughter. I don't know. It was well, that was actually one thing that we that I said when we were discussing Flatline, which is that um, I'd actually completely forgotten the whole thing about Danny Pink. I'd forgotten that that character actually existed until watching that episode. I went, "Oh yeah," um, which is a bit odd considering that you know he does play a. You know, a significant part in 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 this series, and uh, particular- se- seemingly the future of Clara's life mm-hmm. from the, um, from the from the perspective of this story alone. Yes, um, and so I was like, all right, okay, I completely forgotten about that character. That may speak volumes in of itself. But funny enough, I did say that um, that the actor who plays the part, he's not awful, but I don't think he's fantastic. Um, I mean. I don't think the character's particularly great either. I've got a problem with, I've got a problem with the character. Um, not so much in, not so. I mean, he's in Flatline very briefly. He's only in there for what, two to five minutes, if if, if that. So it, it's quite fleeting. And in, actually, in terms of this episode, in terms of listen, I'm not really bothered by him. I think actually it's, um, uh, I think it's handled for the most part quite well. But it's another episode's like the uh, the caretaker um, episode. Yeah. I, I, I'm not keen on his character there, and this whole thing of of treating, being condescending to the doctor and calling him Colonel and all that weird thing about he doesn't like the doctor because he's a soldier and all that. I just think is a bit weird, and I don't particularly buy, and I don't think it, I don't think it's particularly great. Um, and yeah, I don't think much of the actor, if if truth be told. I mean, as I said, he's not awful, but there's just I just think he lacks a certain charisma. And considering he's supposed to be the love interest of Clara, I don't see that spark. I don't see what she's supposed to see. No. But in terms... Sorry, Rob. But uh, in terms of this episode, I think it's fine because they're going out on a date and it's... It is a bit awkward and they're both feeling a bit uncomfortable. So... Yeah. It works works here, I think. Yeah. I don't remember hating the character so much. Um, I know the character's got this... Um, this entire story all the way to the end where he dies um, he's stored in this Matrix hard drive and he's restored as a Cyberman it's obviously something that was kind of mapped out um, and it's, an, it's interesting but I think maybe we hadn't had him for long enough possibly to be invested in, in him as much Maybe mm. if it would have had him for two seasons, um, the whole death thing may have had a bigger impact. I agree with you there, because I think we're supposed to care because Clara cares. But um, given the it fact... It all comes out to, do you care about, do you care about Clara? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, that's that's another thing as well, which uh, we discussed... Actually, we discussed during Flatline as well. Um, like If that had been Rory, that would have mm. been a bit devastating. Yes, yeah, yeah, that would that would have been that would have been that would have been a uh, that would have been huge. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, th- I agree with you there. If if we are if it would have worked far more effectively had Danny Pink hung around for at least another series. Yeah. As the conversation of the dates going from bad to worse, Clara makes an unfortunate reference to him killing. Uh, I think he says something to the extent of. Um, like an expression, like either killing uh, a kid at school, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> metaphorically yeah. or something. And 
Clara says something about him being a killer as a soldier. Is that... Well, what would you said was that that means something coming from you. Yeah, and he takes it. He obviously, he takes that a bad way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the whole the whole relationship is a bit back and forward, good and bad. Um, Clara ends ends up leaving um, after a bit of an argument, and the doctor's waiting for her. Um, I like this scene because he's hiding in the bedroom just in case she brought her date home. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and you thought about well, hiding in the bedroom. Yeah, um, yeah, I like that scene and that whole thing of um, why have you got three mirrors? Why don't you just turn your head? And uh, yes, you and then we'll have a line later about it. It's because it's it's a big wide head or something. <laughs> <laughs> she's got three mirrors yeah yeah uh, and I like that you know there's a lot of humour between the relationship between the Doctor and Clara which is quite nice and I love how if anything I like how uh, Peter Capaldi plays it it's just like oh you know you've you've taken your makeup up no you haven't oh you probably missed a bit come on come on come on <laughs> um, I love all that and just how he's so innocently ignorant yes yeah yeah and I actually like um, how I mean Jenna Coleman's a good actress and I said as I said before the criticisms that I have of the character Clara are not aimed at the actress playing her. It's to do with how the character was introduced and written. But it's these moments which actually, you know, it, it works. I love the relationship that Capaldi and Coleman have. And it, it, it really, you know, they have a, a really great chemistry together and they play the humour uh, incredibly well. It's just great to see. So he puts this idea forward to her about not being alone. Mm-hmm. She says that the chalk looks like the doctor's handwriting, as I mentioned earlier. And yes, she's probably right. He could have wrote it subconsciously without knowing, uh, or perhaps he didn't. He talks of everyone having a bad dream at some point, and Clara kind of admits to having that dream, um, although we didn't get to see that. But we do have a bit of a montage of lots of random kids being kind of scared in the middle of the night. Um, Clara's hooked up to the telepathic circuits um, to go to the moment that it happened to her. Unfortunately, she's distracted uh, by a phone call from Danny Mm -hmm. and she's taken to this children's home in Gloucester. Yeah. My take on this is she went there because of the phone call, Mm -hmm. not because of um, a family link. Yeah, yeah. To Danny, that's a, yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Um, so yes, they arrive at the children's home. Um, when Clara says she's never been there before, um, she's never lived at a children's home. I love how confidently the doctor says she's probably just forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because the timelines match. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's the right year. You've just forgotten. <laughs> Clara stays by the TARDIS to avoid anything catastrophic. Um, but she sees um, a young Danny Pink, or rather Rupert Pink, up at the window. Mm-hmm. Um, so she sneaks up to see him. Uh, the doctor speaks to this kind of night manager at the children's home and talks with him about talking to yourself. Um, I guess m- maybe, or, do we all do it? <laughs> well, I know I do. <laughs> Times just muttering to myself, or even when I'm at work, I'm the only person in the office just... You're going, oh, what, what do I need to do here? Oh, yes, I need to do this. And then just having a full-blown conversation with yourself, which is a bit... <laughs> Been alone far too long. Um, and they also talk about putting your cupper down and, and losing it. That happens, yeah? Oh, yeah, yeah, I've done that a couple of times. Or, or I've put it down, I've drunk the whole thing and then completely forgot that I have and go, where's, where's, my, where's my tea gone? Yeah, maybe you didn't drink it, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, I love how the doctor nicks off of it this time. Yeah, that was good because it was a, you know, because the the episode is is quite atmospheric in places, and it does have this really nice creepy um, feel which gets under your skin. And he's been having this conversation, he's going, you know, um, you, and then there's a the whole thing of going, oh look, is uh, the TV switched off mysteriously, and this cup of coffee's disappeared. So it's just like, what, oh, what's going on? And it's it's again just wonderfully underplayed, but I love how Peter Capaldi plays that moment. Uh, He's just got this cheeky look on his face, sort of, as he just sips the coffee. He's just, oh, the doctor nicked it. <laughs> yeah. I do like it, yeah. Yeah. So Clara talks with little Rupert, and he's been having a bad dream about something under his bed. So she gets under the bed with him to show um, how it's, you know, it's safe, there's nothing there. 
Um, and then something gets up on top of the bed. Um, probably the scariest bit of the episode. And it's it's very simply done as well, but uh, the, the whole the whole scene proves to be very atmospheric. Yeah. Yeah. Clara bravely leaps out, and there's a child-sized being under the blanket. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, they're in a children's home. Uh, the obvious conclusion is that it's a child. Um, in reality. <laughs> yeah. So the doctor flicks on the light, and he kind of pulls us out of this tenseness. Um, he's just there looking for Wally. Mm-hmm. In a book that's not Where's Wally? Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's maybe that's a, a mild metaphor for this story, looking for something that's not there. Oh, yes. Yeah. It, it could be. Or for could American listeners, listeners, it's it's Where's Waldo? Waldo, yeah. yeah. But it's yeah. Wally. It is Wally. Yeah, yeah. But then we have... We have his arch nemesis. Is it Odlo? Which is an anagram of Waldo. But he's in the UK one. Odlo wasn't introduced until volume two or three. Oh, so it is it is supposed to be Waldo then? No, it was it was Wally. And then subsequent volumes mm-hmm. um made the villain an anagram of the American name. Ah, <laughs> oh, meaning it's wrong. Right, okay. That's, that's my take on it. Because, yeah, okay. Fair. <laughs> Why oh, I, I love those this? books as a kid. Do you remember the TV series as well? As a kid, yeah, I still read them. Oh, do um, you? Oh, okay. Yeah. Where's Wally? <laughs> yeah, yeah, was a, a... Don't, don't know if that was a good TV show or not. Oh, well, I there, was a, re- there was a ticking clock moment, wasn't there, where you had to find him? Yeah, th- I think you had 30 seconds. Yeah. Um, I remember the bound to be on YouTube. I think I'll, 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 I'll grab one and we'll see, see, up, see yeah. if it holds up. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's some weird cartoons and adaptions. Wasn't there even like a Mighty Max? Yes, cartoon? I remember Mighty Max. Bloody hell. Yeah, yeah. yeah. James Bond Jr. Oh, no, I never watched that. No. But I remember Mighty Max. For, for those, it was sort of like a, a Polly Pocket for boys, though, because it was yeah. it was, it was masculine, it was an adventure. Um, so you yeah. had these these little... Uh, did you ever get them, the, the toys? Yeah. I mean, I was... Um... I was the kind of boy. I, I I did want some girls' toys. You know, I wanted ovens toasted. I wanted Polly Pockets. But you know, being the early nineties, that that was that was just frowned upon. <laughs> so, like, no, it should still You'll be frowned upon. Polly Pockets. Suppress that. <laughs> but uh, I remember there was one which um, there was one which on the outside it looked like a snake. And, oh uh, yes. You uh, you opened it up and inside it was it was the inside of an Egyptian tomb. And I, yeah. uh, I remember, I remember that, and there was even a, a little, a little cubby hole which had a skeleton inside and stuff. Then there was one which looked like a skull on the outside, and you opened up, and it was a mad scientist's laboratory. Yeah. Uh, there was another still got one some of which those upstairs in the loft. It was, it was an ice cave inside. Mm-hmm. Um, there were loads more, but I think, that, I think they were the only ones that I had. Yeah, and there was, there was a giant playset. Do you remember that? I do. I never had it though, but that, I wanted no. it. Yeah, the people that the kind of people that had the sofas in the middle of the room had that. Yeah, yeah, people with money. Those, <laughs> those middle class people. Yeah, those yeah those middle class people. Um, <laughs> yeah, I remember that. And then yeah, and you had the cartoons as well. Yeah. Clearly designed. It was like uh, it was like the uh, the, uh, the Transformer cartoons and He Man clearly made that. They were we have toys to sell. Let's have something created around. It was basically just mass advertising for half an hour, but yeah, yeah. they were good fun. Totally. Anyway, yes, <laughs> have another bit Back of a tangent. To where's Wally? So yes. he's looking for Wally. Can't find him. Wrong book. He didn't realise he wasn't in all books. Mm-hmm. He's been looking for a long time. <laughs> so he explains how becoming scared makes us stronger. Um, when he's talking to Rupert, like it makes us able to kind of fight or flight. It's like a superpower. Then they they turn the back on this or this creature or this person under the blanket, and the Doctor kind of takes a look at the possibilities. That number one, it's just one of the kids from the home playing a trick on them. Option two, it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so uh, one thing I've got in... to sorry to interrupt, Rob. One thing I have got to say is. Um... Is it? Did you say uh, Rennie Golding plays Rupert Pink? Yes. 
Yeah, yeah, sorry, I just because I feel like a, a shout out for him. Because, you know, so, to get a really good child's actor, I think, is, um, you know, is quite difficult. Obviously, you know, they do exist. And, and once here, he plays the part, he, he's fantastic in this, I just thought. Uh, and uh, Peter Capaldi and Jenna Coleman and that, and how they perform alongside him, it's, it's, it's just great. Um, I just think he, he plays the part very well. I just think it's a good shout out. Yeah. Um, I don't think he's appeared in anything else uh, other than right. this. Um, but, you know, I think a good little actor. Yeah. When you were bringing him up there, I was thinking, oh, what's he been in now? He must be a big star. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he should have been based when on his performance here. Yeah, hang on, I'm going to have a quick look on IMDb. Bear with me a second. Uh, Doctor Who, listen. Do, 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 do. No. No, he hasn't appeared in anything else. Not a thing. No. Oh well. Shame. But uh, yeah, he's uh, he's great here. So the doctor asks this person under the blanket to leave, and then it approaches them closer from behind, and it takes the blanket off, and we do see it for a moment mm-hmm. out of focus. Um, did you have a visualization visualization in your head? Uh, I didn't actually. No, I didn't know what. I thought it might just be a um, my Im- if these things were to exist. I mean, I know this contradicts the, the the brief sort of appearance that we have here, but I thought they would be sort of corporeal, but look like a shadow. How about you? I thought of some. I pictured something more actual, like some kind of weird gremlins or something. <laughs> I guess it's some oh, like okay. little, little weird goblin things that mm-hmm. are kind of terrifying. But yeah. <laughs> Well, I don't know. I mean, yes, but it's. Uh, but then I, I think this idea of sort of like of shadow people being quite, quite creepy as well, or yeah. um, or even something like a giant moth. Mm, uh, yeah. It actually reminds me. Years ago, there was a movie called The Mothman Prophecies, um, which I don't think I think it had Richard Gere in it. I don't think it was uh, critically uh, lauded, but I remember thinking it was fairly decent and certainly quite creepy. Um, and loosely based on a true story, which was this, uh, which was that people had apparently seen these these beings look like that look like giant moths. And I don't like moths. I like butterflies because uh, you know pretty colours and everything like that. But the beige I, equivalent. I don't like moths. I don't I like don't... giant moths. Oh uh, no, it's just no. horrible. Well, you know when they're like bigger than cockroaches and. Yeah, or spiders. Yeah, horrible. Some kind of hybrid would be pretty bad. Oh, a Mothman spider a hybrid. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm getting scared now, Rob. Okay, <laughs> quickly we'll, we'll move, move on, on. Move on. Move on. Okay. So, <laughs> so this creature, person, kid leaves the room. So Clara gives these toy soldiers to Rupert to protect it, uh, and there's this boss one which doesn't have a gun. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of so brave that he doesn't need a gun. Uh, so Rupert calls him Dan. Is it Dan the Soldier Man or something? Yeah. Um, so the doctor puts him to sleep telepathically, which doesn't often happen. Um, he also scrambled his memory and uh, gave him this big memory of being Dan the Soldier Man. So there you go. He's just he's just kind of made Danny Pink. <laughs> Yes, he has, yeah. Uh, and uh, gets quite a strong reaction from Clara, which is understandable. Uh, and the Doctor, not knowing it's Danny Pink, uh, tries to find a connection with Clara and this kid. Clara asks a favour. She goes to visit Danny right after the fight. You know, she, mm. Clara leaves, Clara enters. Um, and so they kind of start again. And the talk of married names like Clara Pink and she stupidly calls him Rupert, which is a bit awkward, you know. How does he know that? And it's never really brought up again, is it? No, no. You were waiting for it, though, because I obviously remember watching this. At, you know, you know fine well at some point during that conversation she's going to inadvertently say, oh, Rupert's a good name, when, you know, when she shouldn't know that he, that, was his, uh, that was his birth name. Um, so he was just waiting for that for that clunker to be dropped. Um, 
Yeah. Awkward moment though. It's like, you know, when you just want to just jump out of a window. <laughs> <laughs> well, even I can't remember. I forgot if I've gotten the the moment right. But I'm sure it is this moment. Isn't that isn't that the moment when we hear a waiter drop a glass in the background? Or was that a slightly different moment? I don't know. But I remember that there is a moment when uh, during the rest when during the one of the restaurant scenes where Clara says something. And you just hear a waiter drop a glass in the background and just going, oh no, I can't believe you said that. So, <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. So he wants the truth, but she can't say. I mean, she actually can't, you know. Um, although maybe she should have been more honest with him. Mm. Oh, there's, a, there's a question. And someone in a spacesuit is kind of summoning her. She obviously thinks it's the doctor. Um, she kicks off with him in the TARDIS and it's revealed to be a descendant of Danny. Orson Pink, who the Doctor presumes is Clara's descendant. So this kind of bomb is really dropped on Clara there. Well, seemingly uh, Danny and Clara are going to have kids and descendants. So mm-hmm. that's kind of a, a big revelation to kind of learn for her. He found him at the end of the universe. We don't go there that often. And he was there on the last planet. Uh, and at the end, there's nothing to hear. So Orson... Uh, it turns out he's this time traveller stranded at the end. And um, the Doctor says that... Well, sorry, the Doctor and Clara go to the end of the universe with them. The Doctor says they need to charge overnight. Um, which is just bullshit, really. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah. And Orson's clearly disturbed by this. He hasn't been open about what's been going on or why he's scared. So the Doctor's observed that Orson, in a universe of nothing and no one else, has the door locked, so Orson is afraid. Aboard the TARDIS, Orson has a family heirloom to bring good luck. Uh, It's the toy soldier with the gun, Mm. preserved in a case. Clara tells Orson to get back home and stay away from time travel. But he says, because obviously Orson must know who Clara is at this stage. Yeah. He says it runs in the family, a story from one of his great-great-grandparents. And then he gives Clara this soldier because he knows she is family. Yeah, because she says, it, you know, why are you giving me this? It's a family heirloom. And he goes, exactly. And up yeah. until that point, there was that, that, that bit of sort of like toing and froing between the two characters. And you're kind of going, does he know? Is he? Has he put two and two together? And clearly he has at that point. Yeah, it's, it's, I, it's a nice I little I thought moment. perhaps not, but until the scene came along. Mm-hmm. So there's then a knock at the door, at the airlock. And I think there's also a whisper that says, listen. So the doctor unlocks the door and it begins to open. But the doctor wants to stay. You know, he needs to know. He wouldn't need to know at this stage. like. But Clara sends him back to the TARDIS. Um, no, the other way around. The doctor sends Clara to the TARDIS. He sends Clara back to the TARDIS, sorry. And he kind of says, you know, do what you're told and snaps it there. So as the airlock opens, the TARDIS scanner conveniently shuts off as Clara's trying to see what's happening outside. But then when they see again, the air shell's breached and the Doctor's kind of hanging on for his life. So Orson goes out to rescue the Doctor. So as they hear a lot of noises and shaking outside the TARDIS, Clara says it's probably nothing. But... Um, this might make sense of some of this. Um, then the cloister bell tolls. Yeah. So clearly not nothing. You could interpret this that maybe there is a threat outside. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, see, cloister bell always hold the answers. Hold the answers. Um, so Clara uses the telepathic circuits to fly away. Um, very convenient, slimy things. So wherever they are, Clara decides to go outside alone. And she's in a barn, you know, and there's a crying boy. And it's it's hidden well from us, the viewer, not to know where this is. So she climbs up to see the boy, presuming it's Danny or Orson. Um, but then a man and woman enter the barn. Uh, the man seems to want seems to want the boy to join the army. Another hint that it could be Danny. But the woman in the boy's defence says he doesn't want to do that. They kind of want him to return to the house with the other boys. Mm -hmm. 
And then the penny drops when the man says he's not going to the academy. Uh, he'll never make a time lord. <gasps> this hits, Car- hits Clara really hard. Like She didn't see this coming. Neither did we. <laughs> no, no, we didn't. So it's quite a, a significant thing to happen in Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Going this far back. And not directly, but given answers to the Doctor's past. And of course, we can interpret this different ways. Um, I know Expanded Media has explained some of the Doctor's backstory in ways. The TV show has implied some of it. Uh, How do you interpret this man and woman and the house with the other boys? Um, I think it's it's supposed to be clear that the Doctor's an orphan. Mm. um, And he doesn't fit in and he all because as it said you know he, he he seems to be very emotional and constantly weeping so something obviously is uh, is making him very upset um so he always tends to sleep alone in this barn it's where he feels most at home and is comfortable but he's clearly from a very young age a loner yeah um, um this is probably the point of the podcast where we bring up that thing that you love I was, oh, I was wait, uh. See, I was just going to refer to him as this is little, this is little William Hartnell, Doctor. But uh, I don't think I was going to get away with it. Go on, Rob. Well, no, I'm happy to say this is William Hartnell. But there's a whole thing about the timeless child. Um, <laughs> we know that this. Well, we presume this is the first Doctor. Of course, that was probably the intention, and I still believe that. I don't think mm-hmm. there's any reason here to believe. This is a pre-Hartnell Doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, though, uh, the timeless child background gives us some to the Doctor's past and a headache. <laughs> um, we could presume that Bill Hartnell's Doctor, just using my imagination here, maybe the Division wiped the Doctor's memory and then maybe he was just discarded uh, as an orphan. Uh, so, of course, if you go by the timeless child canon the doctor doesn't have biological parents so that goes to confirm that maybe this is a house for orphans or or children with no parents yes Uh, what we'll go on to in a few moments is about how this whole thing comes full circle and clara of course leaves the soldier there and just similarly how the Doctor made Danny, Danny Pink, made him who he is. The, uh, the Clara. <laughs> Clara almost makes the Doctor who he, who he becomes. And maybe this is a slight contradiction of The Timeless Child because we think of pre haunted Doctors like Ruth fundamentally being the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Or because even though she had a gun, she was... She did seem still seem opposed to using using it. I think. Well, it's um, it, there's um, well, so you're right. So in terms of the actual story itself, it becomes full circle. So Clara is telling um, uh, the young doctor, you know, the the, the child, you know, um, f- fears the thing that makes us strong is a superpower. Blah 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 blah, which is exactly what the doctor had said to Danny Pink, uh, well Rupert Pink, sorry, earlier on in the episode. So it's gone full circle there. Uh, and then she finishes, she finishes the speech off uh, with Fear Makes Companions of a Soul, which is, uh, I think it's slightly misquoted, but it mirrors a line in the very first Doctor Who story, An Unearthly Child, where they're all in the Cave of Skulls and the Doctor is trying to, to help Barbara um, and he says that line, Fear Makes Companions of All of Us. Okay. Um, so it's it, so it's also full it's 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 full circle that way as well. So Clara yeah. says that line, which William Hartnell's Doctor would later say in an earthly yeah. child. So yeah, she's really um, she's really part of this mythos. Mm-hmm. And then again in um, the name of the Doctor, she literally told him to go into the TARDIS. <laughs> yes, she's really she's really part of it. Yeah, well, she, and then uh, I'm trying to remember. Um, she, yeah, she's so she she does that, and then she see, sees Patrick Troughton's doctor running in Los Angeles or something like that, and then she sees 
Then she's in the Five Doctors. Then she's in the Invasion of Time. Then she's in Ark of Infinity, which <laughs> in yes. the Matrix. So inside the TARDIS, the Doctor wakes up. He kind of says, or perhaps paraphrases something he said before, Santarans perverting the course of human history. Did something going on here trigger this line? Maybe him being in proximity to himself caused his head to go a bit weird? I don't know. I mean, he seems to like the line, because for those that don't know, it's um, it's a reference to the John Pertwee story, The Time Warrior. The fourth Doctor says it just after his regeneration in Robot. It's barely hearable in that. Yeah, it's 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 barely audible, but that's where the line originally comes from. Uh, he says it here, and then he says it in... I think it's the beginning of Twice Upon a Time he says it as well, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, another mm-hmm. time. Mm. So the Doctor shouts for Clara, and this this wakens the child. So he stands up, wondering who's there, and Clara just reacts, and she grabs the leg from under the bed. Uh, and then she realises that... She's caused the Doctor's nightmares. Yeah. Uh, this is the dream. Mm-hmm. So she tells him to go back to bed. She sits with him. Did he go back to sleep? I don't know. But she says, listen. And um, yeah, kind of reinforces this whole scenario in the doctor's head. Mm-hmm. It's all her fault. <laughs> <laughs> Bloody woman. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So uh, back aboard, she tells the doctor to take off and not look back at where they've been. Um, and she says, do as you're told. Which is what the Doctor snapped at her back at the end of the universe earlier. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, so she kind of throws that back in his face. Mm-hmm. I think he kind of listens, yeah. So what she tells the first Doctor, she asks him to listen and that it's okay to be afraid. She says just what the Doctor said to Danny, kind of, um, and tells of the day that the War Doctor would return to the barn. Mm-hmm. Uh, for anyone that doesn't remember, in the day of the Doctor, the 50th anniversary story, um, in this very same barn, uh, Clara was present when they broke th- through um, into the Time War. Um, and So she's aware of this barn and she's aware, of course, of the War Doctor. Mm-hmm. And we do get a, a little flashback of John Hurt approaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which was quite nice. Yeah. Uh, And she says, if you're very brave and strong, fear doesn't have to make you cruel or cowardly. Another Mm -hmm. thing, she's (laughs) just kind of seeded. Yeah. Um, Which again, I think was a a description. I I think Terence Dix came up with that description of the Doctor originally, which I think is is a very good line. Never cruel or cowardly. Uh, And she says, fear can make you kind. So, yeah, she, she kind of makes them the man he is. Mm-hmm. The whole thing is all uh, a bit of a tangled mess then between the Doctor and Danny's lives. Um, we say how Danny's character's not very interesting and <laughs> perhaps unimportant, but it's it's significant in relation to the Doctor's origins. Mm-hmm. And Ellie said his or- oranges. So yeah, Danny's a fundamental part of the Doctor's life now. She says the Doctor will always be afraid of uh, and fears like a constant companion, as you said. Uh, she leaves him with the toy soldier without a gun. Um, you know, further making him the man he's destined to be, the man who doesn't carry a gun. Mm-hmm. Clara goes to... S- back in the TARDIS, maybe, yeah. Clara goes to see Danny, and they kind of reconcile, although he doesn't seem to push for an answer about how... She knew his name was Rupert. Yeah, I think he's not bothered. He managed to get a snog, so, you know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He's not bothered anymore. Yeah. And then the Doctor, alone in the TARDIS, stands and looks at the word listen with a look of realisation on his face. But a realisation of what? So what what do you think is going through his head? The revelations of this story are not apparent to the Doctor. Mm Mm-hmm. What conclusion is in the Doctor's head, do you think? I think the conclusion that's in his head is what you, the audience, think. So, the question would be, well, (laughs) what do you think, Rob? 
I just don't know. <laughs> well, neither does the doctor. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> what a waste of an episode. <laughs> um, so, conclusion and score of this episode, I'd say it's an interesting one. It deals with time travel in an effective way. Mm-hmm. Um, and as usual, um, time travel is this very kind of basic concept of going back and forward but it's handled in a way in a a new and inventive way going back on themselves with clara and and going to see danny pink and then the doctor so it's handled in an interesting way the villain of the episode is pretty good um it's this faceless uh not a threat, but yeah, it's, it's this it's this inherent fear that we've all got. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a good thing to play with always. Of course, we're not too keen on the whole thing with Danny Pink. Um, and of course, the thing of Clara and Danny's descendants, this Orson Pink in particular, but that's kind of wiped from history. Yeah, it is. Even though Orson Pink's existence is a fundamental part of the Doctor's origins. Because, now I've got a headache. <laughs> yeah, because he can't possibly exist given the fact that, that Danny Pink later dies. And I don't think it's ignored. I don't think it's addressed well enough. We have to make the presumption that this future doesn't happen with Clara. Yeah. Um, or maybe it was. Or maybe at that point in history. It was a possibility because it was just a yes, possible strand. But it seems like a fixed point because not only is he a significant person in, in Earth history, is like I said, he's an important part of the Doctor's history. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a. But then again, why? Uh, at the time, I thought, why was this plot thread abandoned? It was almost like the new paradigm Daleks and Danny Pink. Yeah. It's in the same series that Danny Pink later dies in. Yeah. So obviously it was planned and Stephen Moffat wrote this episode. I feel like what was absent is eventually a line explaining the awesome pink stuff. Uh, but anyway, um, I give this episode a... Seven out of ten. That right, okay. Um, I always liked this episode. Watching it again, I liked it even more. Um, it's like as you said, I like the, I like the story. I like how it's how it's written. It's got a tremendous amount of atmosphere. I think it's superbly directed. I really like the 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 use of color in it. Um, when when they're at that location at the the very you know on the the last planet at the very end of the universe. Um, the use of pinks and blues is contrast. I just think it looks beautiful. I love how that looks and the way it's shot. Um, I really like uh, the the actors here. I think they're, they're really rather good. Um, funny enough, I think actually the actor who plays Danny Pink is a lot, it plays the part of Awesome Pink a lot better. Yeah, we'll, th- we'll like him. <laughs> we'll yeah, like yeah we'll like him, but we're not keen on Danny Pink. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I like the whole thing. I think what we were saying with uh with regards to um the the, the timeline of of awesome pink and all the rest of it actually becomes a bit of a headache later on when you think of you know dark water and what happens to danny pink and that wouldn't make the sense of this timeline but in terms of the, the confines of the actual episode itself it works and it makes sense and i like it and even even the fact of clara being that important um to the doctor which Having all these characters who suddenly have huge importance, uh, I think, is a bit of a problem with New Doctor Who. It, it can't just be that, you know, ordinary people can do amazing things. No, they have to, you know. And this is a bit of a... is a huge problem that I have with the, the timeless child. And even though I don't particularly like it, it's something that we do have to... It is a part of Doctor Who now. Unfortunately, we've got to consider it. But for, anyway. Um, but despite that, I actually quite like... Uh, this whole uh, how it plays within this episode it doesn't bother me so much uh, because 
I actually like it in terms of how it's written and how it's revealed and what happens and so on. Um, yeah, I, I like that episode an awful lot. Um, giving it a score, I have found it a little bit tricky. Um, but I think I'm quite happy giving it a slightly higher score than you. I think I give it eight. So thanks for listening. No Yay. pun intended. Yay. <laughs> Remember, we are on social media, facebook.com slash cloisterbell. Twitter at Podcast Bell, Instagram Cloister underscore Bell. You can support us on Patreon for early access and more. Uh, we have a great website, cloisterbellpodcast.com, with all our previous podcasts on there and a few games in there. Um, you can check out Liam's profile, read all about him, <laughs> things like that. <laughs> and if you wouldn't mind, please review us on either Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. We'd love to know what you think. You can review the podcast in general, or you can return, you can review each individual podcast. Next time on the podcast, this is something you might have heard of from previous podcasts or on social media, um, but it was an idea by Liam, so I'll let him explain that. Yeah. So, um, as we know, the uh, Doctor Who, the, the classic series, is getting uh, re-released on Blu-ray box sets. Um originally through limited edition but now they're starting to get the standard releases so they'll be available to everyone which i think is great uh season 12 and season 19 are going to be re-released um very soon uh 31st of may i think so on the basis of that uh i suggested to rob and he thought it was a good idea so this is what we're going to be doing we're going to be looking at uh tom baker's first season season 12 and reviewing all those stories so the next podcast will we will be discussing robot so great uh, i think that's it for today uh yeah i think that's everything uh and and rob has had the experience of uh <laughs> no listeners responses for this episode so you know oh. what it's like rob now <laughs> yeah <laughs> but hopefully because we're going to be uh returning to the tom baker era we should hopefully get uh, people responding on their thoughts on each of the stories so uh, please do get in contact. We do love hearing from you. Yeah. Uh, thanks for listening and goodbye. Bye, everyone. The TARDIS cloister bell. Imminent disaster. The cloister bell? Yes. What's that? Well, it's a sort of communications device reserved for wild catastrophes and sudden calls to man the battle stations. That's the cloister bell. Don't worry about that for now. It's not really terribly significant. The cloister bell? Oh, no.